3: Welcome to the
0: Bloody Disgusting Network. This podcast has been able to make it to five years thanks to our patrons. Please join me in welcoming and thanking new patrons, Nico Patch, Sarah C., and Joanne McCourt. All of our patrons get immediate access to all Sunday and Wednesday productions early and commercial free. The reward tiers go up from there to include instant access to over 500 stores in counting, not to mention the four new stories added every week. There are also Logo Merch tiers whose proceeds go to suicide prevention charities. And if you sign up for the yearly membership, you get 12 months for the price of 11 as a special thanks. To see how you can support the podcast and get rewarded, and for your rewards to have an impact on others, please check out the donation tiers at patreon.com creepypod. Now,
3: This is Creepy
0: Creepy Presents A Shattered Life Written by Matt Demersky, And narrated by Joe Stofko
3: I don't know when you're going to read this, but I can tell you when it started. I was out for a walk alone in the woods when the entity came for me. It was beyond a blur. It was for lack of a better term, absence of meaning. Where it hid, there were no trees. Where it crept closer, there was no grass. Through the arc it leapt at me, there was no breeze of motion. There was no air at all. As it struck, I felt the distinct sensation of claws puncturing me somewhere unseen, somewhere I'd never felt before. My hands and arms and legs and torso seemed fine, and I wasn't bleeding, but I knew I'd been injured somehow. As I fearfully ran back home, I could tell that I was less. I was vaguely tired, and it was hard to focus at times. The solution at that early stage was easy. A big cup of coffee helped me feel normal again. For a while, that subtle drain on my spirit became lost in the ebb and flow of caffeine in my system. You could say my life began that week, actually, because that was when I met Mar. She and I got along great, although to be honest, I'm pretty sure I fell in love with her over the phone before we even met. It was almost as if the strong emotions of that first week made the entity fight back. It was still with me, latched onto some invisible part of my being. The first few incidents were minor, and I hardly worried about them. The color of a neighbor's car changed from dark blue to black one morning, and I stared at it before shaking my head and shrugging off the difference. Two days later at work, a co-worker's name changed from Fred to Dan. I carefully asked around, but everyone said his name had always been Dan. I figured I'd just been mistaken. Then, as ridiculous this sounds, I was peeing in my bathroom at home when suddenly I found myself on a random street I was still in my pajamas, pants down, and urinating, but now in full view of a dozen people at a bus stop. Horrified, I pulled up my clothes and ran before someone called the cops. I did manage to get home, but the experience forced me to admit that I was still in danger. The entity was doing something to me, and I didn't understand how to fight back. Mar showed up that evening, but she had her own key. Hey, I asked her with confusion, how do you get a key? She just laughed. You're cute. Are you sure you're okay with this? She opened a door and entered a room full of boxes. I know living together is a big step, especially when we've only been dating three months. Living together? I'd literally just met her the week before. Thing was, my mother had always called me a smart cookie for a reason. I knew when to shut my yap. Instead of causing a scene, I told her everything was fine. And then I went straight to my room and began investigating. My things were just as I had left them, with no sign of a three-month gap in habitation. But I did find something out of the ordinary. The date. I shivered angrily as I processed the truth. The entity had eaten three months of my life. What the hell was I facing? What kind of creature could consume pieces of one soul like that? I would missed the most exciting part of a new relationship and I would never understand any shared stories or in-jokes from that period. Something absurdly precious had been taken from me, and I was furious. The fury helped suppress the entity. I never imbibed alcohol. I drank coffee religiously. I checked the date every time I woke up. For three years I managed to live each day while observing nothing more than minor alterations. A social fact here and there, someone's job, how many kids they had, that sort of thing. The layout of nearby streets, the time my favorite television show aired, that kind of thing. Always those changes reminded me the creature still had its claws sunk into my spirit. Not once in three years did I ever let myself zone out. One day... I grew careless. I let myself get really into the season finale of my favorite show. It was gripping, a fantastic story. Right at the height of the action, a young boy came up to my lounger and shook my arm. Surprised, I asked, who are you? How did you get in here? He laughed and smiled brightly. Silly daddy. My heart sank in my chest. I knew immediately what had happened. After a few masked questions, I discovered that he was two years old and that he was my son. The agony and heartache filling my chest was nearly unbearable. Not only had I missed the birth of my son, I would never see or know the first years of his life. Mar and I had obviously gotten married and started a family in the time that I'd lost, and I had no idea what joys or pains those years contained. It was snowing outside, holding my sudden sun in my lap, I sat and watched the flakes fall outside. What kind of life was this going to be if slips in concentration could cost me years? I had to get help. The church had no idea what to do. The priests didn't believe me and told me I had a health issue rather than some sort of possession. The doctors didn't have any clue. Nothing showed up on all their scans and tests, but they happily took my money in return for nothing. By the time I ran out of options, I had decided to tell Marr. There was no way to tell what this all looked like from her side. What was I like when I wasn't there? Did I still take our son to school? Did I still do my job? Clearly I did, because she seemed to be none the wiser. But I still had a horrible feeling that something must have been missing in her life when I wasn't actually home inside my own head. But the night I set up a nice dinner in preparation, she arrived not by unlocking the front door, but by knocking on it. I answered and found that she was in a nice dress. She was happily surprised by the setting on the table. A fancy dinner for a second date? I knew you were sweet on me. Thank the Lord I knew when to keep my mouth shut. If I'd gone on about being married and having a son, she might have run for the hills. Instead, I took her coat and sat down for our second date. Through carefully crafted questions, I managed to deduce the truth. This really was our second date. She saw relief and happiness in me, but interpreted that as dating jitters. I was just excited to realize that the entity wasn't necessarily eating whole portions of my life. The symptoms, as I was beginning to understand them, were more like the consequences of a shattered soul. The creature had wounded me, broken me into pieces. Perhaps I was to live my life out of order, but at least I would actually get to live it. And so it went for a few years, from my perspective while minor changes in politics or geography would happen daily major shifts in my mental location only happened every couple of months when i found myself in a new place and time in my life i just shut up and listened making sure to get the lay of the land before doing anything to avoid making mistakes on the farthest flung leap yet i met my six-year-old grandson and I asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up. He said, writer, and I told him that was a fine idea. Then I was stuck back in month two of my relationship with Mar, and I had the best night with her on the riverfront. When I say the best, I mean the best. Knowing how special she would become to me, I asked her to move in. I got to live through what I'd missed the first go-round, and I came to understand that I was never mentally absent. I would always be there, eventually. When we were moving her boxes in, she stopped for a moment and said she marveled at my great love, as if I'd known her for a lifetime and never once doubted she was the one. That was the first time i truly laughed freely and wholeheartedly since the entity had wounded me. She was right about my love for her, but for exactly the reason she'd considered a silly romantic analogy. I had known her my whole life, and I'd come to terms with my situation and found peace with it. It wasn't so bad to have sneak peeks at the best parts ahead, but of course I wouldn't be writing this if it hadn't gotten worse. The entity was still with me. It had not wounded me and departed like I'd wanted to believe. The closest I can describe my growing understanding was that the creature was burrowing deeper into my psyche, fracturing it into smaller pieces. Instead of months between major shifts, I began having only weeks. Once I noticed that trend, I feared my ultimate fate would be to jump between times in my life heartbeat by heartbeat, forever confused, forever lost. Only an instant in each time meant I would never be able to speak with anyone else, never be able to hold a conversation, never express or receive love. As the true depth of that fear came upon me, I sat in an older version of me, and watch the snow falling outside. That was the one constant in my life. The weather didn't care who I was or what pains I had to face. Nature was always there. The falling snow was always like a little hook that kept me in a place. The pure emotional peace it brought was like a panacea on my mental wounds. And I'd never yet shifted while watching the pattern of falling white and thinking of the times I'd gone sledding, or built a snow fort as a child. A teenager touched my arm. Grandpa? Eh? He'd startled me out of my thoughts, so I was less careful than usual. Who are you? He half grinned, as if not sure whether I was joking. Handing me a stack of papers, he said, it's my first attempt at a novel. Would you read it? And tell me what you think? Ah, of course. Pursuing that dream of being a writer, I see. He burned bright red. Trying to, anyway. All right, run off, and I'll read this right now. The words were blurry, and annoyed I looked for glasses I probably had for reading. Being old was terrible, and I wanted to leap back into a younger year, but not before I read his book. I found my glasses in a sweater pocket and began leafing through. Mar puttered in and out of the living room, still beautiful, but I had to focus. I didn't know how much time I would have. It seemed we had relatives over. Was it Christmas? A pair of adults and a couple kids I didn't recognize tromped through the hallway, and I saw my son, now an adult, walked by with his wife on the way out the door. As a group, the extended family began sledding outside. Finally, I finished reading the story, and I called out for my grandson. He rushed down the stairs and into the living room. How was it? Well, it's terrible, I told him truthfully, but it's terrible for all the right reasons. You're still a young man, so your characters behave like young people. But the structure of the story itself is very solid. I paused. I didn't expect it to turn out to be a horror story. He nodded. It's a reflection of the times. Expectations for the future are dismal, not hopeful like they used to be. Oh, you're far too young to be aware like that, I told him. An idea occurred to me. If you're into horror, do you know anything about strange creatures? Sure. I read everything I can. I love it. Warily, I scanned the entrances to the living room. Everyone was busy outside. For the first time, I opened up to someone in my life about what I was experiencing. In hushed tones, I told him about my fragmented consciousness. For a teenager... He took it well. You're serious? Yes. He donned the determined look of a grown man accepting a quest. I'll look into it, see what I can find out. You should start writing down everything you experience. Build some data. Maybe we can map your psychic wound. Wow. Sounds like a plan. I was surprised. That made sense and I hadn't expected him to have a serious response. But uh, how will I get all the notes in one place? Let's come up with somewhere for you to leave them, he said, frowning with thought. Then I'll get them, and we can trace the path you're taking through your own life. See if there's a pattern. For the first time since the situation had gotten worse, I felt hope again. Um, How about under the stairs? Nobody ever goes under there. Sure, he turned and left the living room. I peered after him. I heard him banging around near the stairs. Finally, he returned with a box, laid it on the carpet, and opened it to reveal a bursting stack of papers. He exclaimed, Holy crap! But of course, being a teenager, he really didn't say crap. Taken aback, I blinked rapidly, forgiving his cussing because of the shock. Did uh, I write those? He looked up at me with wonder. Yeah, or you will. You still have to write them and put them under the stairs after this. He gazed back down at the papers and then covered the box. So you probably shouldn't see what they say. That could get weird. That much I understood. Right. He gulped. There are like fifty boxes under there, all filled up like this. Deciphering these will take a very long time. His tone dropped to deadly seriousness. But I will save you, Grandpa, because I don't think anyone else can. Tears flowed down my cheeks then. I couldn't help but sob once or twice. I hadn't realized how lonely I'd become in my shifting prison of awareness until I finally had someone who understood. Thank you. Thank you so much. And then I was young again and at work on a random Tuesday. Once the sadness and relief faded, anger and determination replaced them. After I finished my work, I grabbed some paper and began writing while the weeks shifted around me, while those weeks became days and then hours, I wrote every single spare moment about when and where I thought it was. I put them under the stairs out of order. My first box was actually the thirtieth, and my last box was the first. Once I had over fifty boxes written from my perspective and once my shifting became a matter of minutes, I knew it was up to my grandson to take it from there. I put my head down and stopped looking. I couldn't stand the river of changing awareness any longer. Names and places and dates and jobs and colors and people were all wrong and different. I'd never been older. I sat watching the snowfall a man of at least 30 that vaguely i recognized entered the room come on i think i finally figured it out i was so frail that moving was painful are you him are you my grandson yes he took me to a room filled with strange equipment and sat me in a rubber chair facing a large mirror twice the height of a man The pattern finally revealed itself. How long have you worked on this? I asked him, aghast. Tell me you didn't miss your life like I'm missing mine. His expression was both stone cold and furiously resolute. It'll be worth it. He brought two thin metal rods close to my arm and then nodded at the mirror. Look, this shock is carefully calibrated. The electric zap from his device was startling, but not painful. In the mirror I saw a rapid, arcing light silhouette appear above my head and shoulder. The electricity moved through the creature like a wave, briefly revealing the terrible nature of what was happening to me. A bulging, leech-like mouth was wrapped around the back of my head, coming down to my eyebrows and touching each ear and its slug-like body ran over my shoulder and into my very soul. It was a parasite, and it was feeding on my mind. My now adult grandson held my hand as I took in the horror. After a moment he asked, "'Removing it is going to hurt very badly. Are you up for this?' "'Fearful,' I asked. "'Is Mar here?' His face softened, no, not for a few years now. I could tell from his reaction what had happened, but I didn't want it to be true. How? We have this conversation a lot, he responded. Are you sure you want to know? It never makes you feel better. Tears brimmed in my eyes. And I don't care if it hurts or if I die. I, I don't want to stay in a time where she's not alive." He made a sympathetic noise of understanding and then returned to his machines to hook several wires, diodes, and other bits of technology to my limbs and forehead. While he did so, he talked. I've worked for two decades to figure this out, and I've had a ton of help from other researchers of the occult this parasite doesn't technically exist in our plane. It's one of the lesser spawns of Mu-Beta-Mu, and it feeds on the plexus of mind, soul, and quantum consciousness reality. When details like names and colors of objects changed, you weren't going crazy. The web of your existence was merely losing strands as the creature ate its way through you. I didn't fully understand. I looked up in confusion as he placed a circlet of electronics like a crown on my head, in exact line with where the parasite's mouth had ringed me. What's Moo Beta Moo? He paused his work and grew pale. "Uh, I forgot that you wouldn't know. You're lucky, believe me. After a deep breath he began moving again and placed his fingers near a few switches. Ready? This is carefully tuned to make your nervous system extremely unappetizing to the parasite, but it's basically electroshock therapy. I could still see Mars smile, even though she was dead. I'd just been with her moments ago. Do it. The click of a switch echoed in my ears, and I almost laughed at how mild the electricity was. It didn't feel like anything, at least at first. Then I saw the mirror shaking, and my body within that image convulsing. Oh, no. It did hurt. Nothing had ever been more painful. It was just so excruciating that my mind hadn't been able to immediately process it. As my vision shook and fire burned in every nerve in my body, I could see the reflected trembling light silhouette of the parasite on my head as it writhed in agony equal to mine. It had claws, six clawed lizard-like limbs under its leech-like body, and it cut into me in an attempt to stay latched on. The electricity made my memories flare. Mars' smile was foremost lit brightly in front of a warm fire as the snow fell past the window behind her. The edges of that memory began lighting up and I realized that my life was one continuous stretch of experience. It was only the awareness of it that had been fragmented by that feasting evil on my back. i never managed to be there for the birth of my son. I jumped around it a dozen times... But never actually lived it for the first time i got to hold mar's hand and be there for her no no that moment had shifted seamlessly into holding her hand as she lay in a hospital bed for a very different reason not this god why it was so merciless to make me remember this i broke down in tears as nurses rushed into the room I didn't want to know. I didn't want to experience it. I'd seen all the good parts, but I hadn't wanted the worst parts, the inevitable end that all would one day face. It wasn't worth it. It was tainted. All that joy was given back ten thousandfold as pain. The fire in my body and my brain surged to sheer white torture, and I screamed. My scream faded into a surprised shout as the machines and electricity and chair faded away. Snow was no longer falling around my life. I was out in the woods on a bright summer day. Oh, God! I turned to see the creature approaching me. It was the same absence of meaning, the same blank on reality. It crept forward just like before, but this time... It hissed and turned away. I stood, astounded at being young again, and freed from the parasite. My grandson had actually done it. He'd made me an unappetizing meal, so the predator of mind and soul had moved on in search of a different snack. I returned home in a daze. And while I was sitting there, processing all that had happened, the phone rang. I looked at it in awe and sadness. I knew who it was. It was Marjorie, calling for the first time for some trivial reason she'd admit thirty years later was made up just to talk to me. But all I could see was her lying in that hospital bed dying. It was going to end in unspeakable pain and loneliness. I would become an old man, left to sit by myself in an empty house his soulmate gone long before him. At the end of it all, the only thing I would have left, sitting and watching the falling snow. But now, thanks to my grandson, I would also have my memories. It would be a wild ride, no matter how it ended. On a sudden impulse, I picked up the phone. With a smile, I asked, Hey, who's this? Even though... I ALREADY KNEW.
0: AUTHOR'S NOTE Together my grandfather and I did set out to write the tale of his life. Unfortunately, his Alzheimer's disease progressed rapidly, and we were never able to finish. He's still alive, but I imagine that mentally he's in a better place than the nursing home. I like to think that he's back in his younger days living life and being happy because the reality is much colder. It's snowing today. He loves the snow. When I visited him, he didn't recognize me, but he did smile as he sat looking out the window. Hello.
2: That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get your 50% off today.
0: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock
1: can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up
0: to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. For your bonus episode, Creepy Presents. My conjugal visit didn't go exactly as planned. Written by Kyle Harrison. And narrated by Cole Burkhardt.
4: This happened about six years ago when I was spending some time in the big house for a few misdemeanors. In a way, this pushed me to get on the straight and narrow. I've never really given myself permission to talk about it, but my therapist says it's part of the healing process, so here goes. I was a different person back then, living on the streets of Detroit and part of a gang. I thought I knew what it meant to be tough. Breaking into cars and just straight up robbing people at gunpoint was almost a daily thing for me as part of the gang. I wasn't the one scared. I was the predator. Having people avoid you and go the other way when they saw you coming, it, it gave you a false sense of power. Or at least for me it did. The more things I would do, the bolder I would get, the more dangerous stunts I would pull. Maybe part of it was because inwardly, I was begging for a better life. Who knows? All I know is that eventually, my luck ran out, and I got caught for a hit-and-run, of all the damned things. Age 17, they treated me like an adult, and told me I would spend a couple of years in the penitentiary. I think they hoped I would rat out other gang members who had bigger rap sheets, but I knew better than that. Snitching was a death sentence, and as far as I knew at the time, the gang was my family. The only one I ever had. Except for Carmen. She was something else. To be honest, I can't quite remember how we met. It was probably high as a kite at the time, and she took things to the next level with sex drive that would make any guy weak. When I got locked away, she promised she would do her best to come visit me. And at my first chance to get a phone call, she was the only one that bothered to show up. How are they treating you in here, baby? Have they hurt you? She asked as she pressed her palm to the glass. Truth be told, I had already been in quite a few fights since my intake, but I didn't want her to know that. I still thought I had to keep this rough exterior for her. And nothing I can't handle, baby girl. These twerps would be wiping their ass with broken arms if they touched me, I told her. She giggled and whispered, God, that gets me so hot, Harth. I wish you were on this side of the bars so I could rough you up a little. That sounded like exactly the kind of distraction I needed. I heard from one of the other inmates if I keep on good behavior for a few months, I might be allowed a little one-on-one, I said with a wink. Oh baby, that'd be fantastic. I've been craving you so bad, she teased. A guard tapped against the glass and our phone call ended there, but I decided I simply had to work hard to see her again. The girl was on fire, I swear. I couldn't help but be infatuated with her. Over the next few months, I did just as I promised and kept my head down. We kept in touch with letters, and she would write me the steamiest fantasies she had of me, including bondage. But as the months progressed, her fixation became focused on one thing. Me getting her pregnant while I was behind bars. It was a bit of a jump, I thought, to want a baby, especially when I couldn't provide for it. But as the days counted down, I was sure that was exactly what her intentions were when she came to visit. It made me a bit nervous, because even though I wanted to have sex with her, I wasn't ready to be a dad. So, I insisted to the guards I be given condoms and other precautions before the planned visit. The day before, we got a phone call, and she teased me some more. I didn't think about it now, but it occurred to me after the fact how different she sounded. I just want my babies inside you, Harv. You'd be the perfect carrier. It's This is what I need, babe. She cooed, but her voice sounded cracked and strangled, almost like she was sick. I tried to ask if everything was okay, but she just brushed it off, insisting that tomorrow we would finally be together, and that was all that mattered. Carmen, maybe we should take things slow, I suggested. That got her even more defensive. "'You don't want me? Is that it? I thought we were going to be together forever!' She snapped back at me. "'It's not that, it's just... a kid is a big responsibility.' The day of the visit came, and I actually felt more nervous than I should have. This was supposed to be a chance to have wild sex with my girlfriend, so why did it feel like I was being led to the execution chamber?' When we got to the room, I was alone, and the guard offered me all the things I'd asked for, including the medicine I could hopefully convince her to take. A moment later, the door on the opposite side buzzed, and she walked in, wearing probably the most provocative thing you can imagine. Hey babe, you ready to get this party started? she asked. You know that we're being monitored, right? Uh, Are you okay with the guard's, you know... Watching us? I asked as she came up to me and kissed me frantically. I have to admit, I missed that so much. It was making me so excited that I wanted to strip down right then. But something just felt off about this. Carmen was too anxious for us to have sex, and this had never happened before. She was hiding something. I tried to push the thought aside and toss my clothes off, our bodies pressing against one another as she too got naked and started to moan as she wrapped her legs around me. You're not going anywhere, she said excitedly as she started to bite and kiss my neck. Or rather, it started as romantic and then it started to feel like she was frantic and trying to really hurt me. Suddenly, I wasn't turned on. I was confused and alarmed, but that was nothing compared to what was about to happen. I heard the guards over the intercom tell us we only had ten more minutes, and I tried to shout, I think we'll be through before that. Then, Carmen placed a hand over my mouth, and her gaze looked like she was about to tear me apart. As I looked at her skin, I started to feel my own crawl there was something writhing around under it, moving about the way that a snake might through the grass. I then heard a low hissing noise, and I realized it was coming from my girlfriend. Her irises split apart as her body began to shake, and she sat back on my lap, groaning like a crazy woman. I heard her bones cracking as she pushed her breasts aside, and a small hole began to form at the top of her navel, slowly ripping her muscles apart, straight between her ribs. Her arms bent backwards, stretching her bones to touch the floor, and holding her up with her back arched. I sat there, too befuddled and frightened to move as her body continued to split apart, her ribs breaking and forming teeth. A long, juicy tongue coming out of her chest cavity that smacked against my bare nipples, and it wrapped around my neck to suffocate my windpipe. Her newly formed teeth gripped against my body as it dug into me the way crab pinchers might. A thousand tiny, snake-like creatures pushing their way out from within her hollow body. The tiny serpents pushed their way into my own pores, ripping and biting at my skin to drill into my own organs. I screamed as hard as I could for help as I heard the guards try to enter the room, but Carmen was faster. A long tail that formed from her spine smashed at the door, "'pushing it closed and causing the power to immediately shut off around us. "'Then her head twisted a full 180 degrees on her neck "'as her eyes bulged from her head and she shrieked, "'No one is coming to save you, baby. "'Just close your eyes and enjoy the ride.' Then she spit a chunk of mucus and venom into my face, my eyes caking with snot as I lost all oxygen to my throat. I pressed my hands against her torn muscles, trying desperately to hit the bones or to reach inside her body and tug at her organs. Anything to make this stop. Instead, I just felt the snakes, continuing to work their way inside my body, wriggling deep into my bloodstream. And just as suddenly as it had started, it stopped. She released her death grip on me and reverted to her human form, licking off the mucus from my face as she smiled like nothing had gone wrong at all. (laughs) Looks like our time is up, babe. She cooed as she got off my lap and winked at me while she got dressed. I sat there, too stunned to even move as I watched her leave. The guards questioned me afterwards since the cameras had been shut off, but I don't think they would believe what had happened to me. Instead, I returned to the general pop, thinking maybe I had dreamt the whole thing up. As the day went on, though, it felt like my insides were going to explode, and I felt so hungry that no matter what I did, I couldn't keep a decent meal down. It all came to a head in the shower when I tried to relieve myself. I was standing there, water washing over my body, when I felt my head begin to spin. Then I began to vomit. Except, it wasn't just blood, it was a vein-covered egg sac. The prisoners in the shower next to me cussed me out as they gave me space, and I started to feel my windpipe close. That unnatural pain I had felt in my body was now overwhelming me, pushing through my skin to release this infection into the world. From every orifice, I felt the snakes push their way out, riddling and sliding down my body as they secreted a black ooze against my skin that made it burn. I was screaming in languages I didn't even understand as the last horde of snakes pushed their way out, all of them gobbling up the egg sac as if it was some form of afterbirth, and then slinking down into the drain below my naked body. My entire body was covered in sores. My skin ripped at almost every possible crack, and it felt like I was about to die. Then I blacked out. When I came to, I was in the infirmary. They claimed the shower had washed away almost an entire clump full of dead skin that had clogged up the drain, like I had shed my skin the way any reptile might. And every night, as I went to bed for the remainder of my sentence, I could hear that hissing in my ear. I still hear it now, years later, I think it's a reminder of my trauma. I know I do my best to avoid Carmen, but we never saw each other after that accident. And I hope we never do.
3: For more information on this podcast, including how to submit your own story for consideration, please visit creepypod.com. You can also follow us at Pod on social media and YouTube. All stories told on this podcast are done so through Creative Commons share-alike licensing or with written consent from the authors. No portion of this podcast may be rebroadcast or otherwise distributed without the express written consent of the Creepy Podcast production team and the story's author.